0: Yesterday marked the 50th wedding anniversary for my mom and dad. Um, on May 11th, they got married 50 years ago, and I put a post on Facebook. Even though my dad said, "Don't, don't do anything like that," um, I thought you're not the boss of me anymore, and so I did it. I did a post on, on Facebook, and they got hundreds of messages, and I don't think they ever go on Facebook, but they did, and, uh, and they were blessed by, by many of them. But somebody sent them a note, probably unrelated to any kind of post on Facebook, but they sent them a note on Facebook, a message yesterday, and I want to read it to you. This is what they said. He said, Dear Mr. Otsuji, you won't remember me, but I wanted to write and thank you. I've been thinking about doing this for years, but didn't have any idea how to reach you. Then it finally dawned on me that you may be on Facebook, and sure enough, there you are In the fall of 1974, I was invited to church by a friend down the street from my house. I don't remember her name, and we lost touch shortly after but you and your wife have remained in my memory all these years. I was eight years old in 1974 and attended what I remember as my only Sunday school class over my entire childhood. As the day came to an end and my friend and I were walking away from the classroom and what I remember to be an outside corridor with a grassy area, you called me to stop and to wait for you. I didn't know why, and I thought I may have been in trouble. You and your sweet wife hugged me, smiled with so much love in your eyes. And you had some very soft words, which I wish I could remember today. And then you gave me a Bible. Sir, this was my very first Bible. It was the King James Version. You filled out the first page with your names and the date. and it left me a short note at the bottom. I honestly, from the bottom of my heart, cannot thank you enough. The moment you gave it to me is forever etched in my mind. Today, I have a stack of Bibles. Some I don't use at all because the text has been changed, and others are marked up throughout. One has fallen apart. You'll never know the peace and the comfort this specific book brought me during my childhood. Today, it is the book I use to cross-reference every other Bible I use. Thank you for spending your time with a bunch of kids. This kid, now a grandmother herself, never forgot how you made her feel. Sincerely, Brenda Watson. On the front page of the Bible, was presented to Brenda Watson from Sandy and Midge Otsuji. On September 22nd of 1974, when there was a little note that said, "May the Lord be with you as you search the Scriptures for God's Word." It blessed me as I read that. It made my mom cry when she got it. But there's something precious about thinking of 50 years of marriage, right? And you go back into the first. Less than five years of their marriage, they're in a Sunday school class teaching some kids. I was two, and there's my parents teaching some kids with the heart to reach out to this little girl that's come for the first time, never to go to Sunday school again. But the Lord, using that, them giving her a Bible. And knowing that the Holy Spirit has the ability to use his word to minister to the heart of a little girl whose parents would never take her to church and use it to bring her to salvation later on. It's a blessing because for some of you, you've been married for over 50 years. For others, you're just getting started or you're not married at this time. But to know that even my parents who got married at 19, so they would have been 23 or 24 at the time. To think that at that age having an impact on somebody just as the Lord used them, right? As the Lord used them wasn't planned by man but it was definitely planned by God a sovereign God who works through his people for his glory for the building up of the saints we come to a text in Ephesians in which it's a blessing because you you have the apostle Paul writing this letter from prison. And if you remember at the beginning of the the chapter of chapter 3 he says for this reason I Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles and as we looked at last week he was in fact a prisoner for the sake of the gospel because he was willing to proclaim the gospel to Gentiles he's in prison. And Paul stops there at the end of that verse, and shifts gears into a statement that he just wants everybody to know before we come to verse 14, where he picks up again. It's as if he wrote verse 3, and the thought is, now I'm going to mention, I'm going to write of a a prayer that's just going to have a radical impact on your life, the church for all of history. But then the Holy Spirit stops him and inspires him to write in verses 2 through 13. We looked at the first six verses last week. And so we pick up in verse 7. But we see this little segment here where it's a little parenthesis from verses 1 through Thirteen. he's just spoken about this mystery this mystery of, of Christ and that you have Jews and Gentiles together united together in the same body of equal status different backgrounds people who hated each other people who thought horribly of each other and now there's Jews and Gentiles together in the same body, according to the same spirit, with the same head who is Christ. And it's a mystery that is absolutely amazing. For a little bit of the context, in verse 6 it says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given to me by the effecting, effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through him, or through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. I broke this text up into three primary questions for us this morning. The first question is, how should we see ourselves? Second question is, how can anything good come from us? And the final question is, what does God enable us to do? And so the first question is this, how should we see ourselves? Now, in the beginning of our text here, he begins by saying, of which... I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power a minister word is also used as a servant he sees himself as a servant with the service of preaching the gospel i became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. A calling that God had placed upon Paul's life. The gifting that came with it to do that. Paul saw himself as a minister or as a servant, one that was to serve the Lord, to serve the world, to serve the church by proclaiming the gospel. The second thing that I want to look at as far as how we should see ourselves is what he says there in verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. This isn't a made-up humility. When the Apostle Paul looked at himself, when he thought of himself, as he's writing this epistle, as the Holy Spirit inspires him to write these words, he thinks of himself as the least. I'm less than the least of all the saints. It's a way of speaking which doesn't even necessarily make sense. You wouldn't say, I'm higher than the highest. Right? Right? You also wouldn't say, I'm less than the least. Unless the way that you see yourself is such a, you just want to emphasize that of all the believers, of everybody within the church, I'm less than the least of them. He's not saying simply, I'm less than the least of all the apostles. He's saying, I'm less than the least of all the saints. What an awesome picture of how we are to be as believers. If you're sitting here this morning and thinking of yourself within the church, and you think, but how have I been gifted? And what do I do? And this is my background, and This is what my life looks like, and this is my reputation. Or I don't have a 50-year anniversary, or four kids walking with the Lord and their spouses and 12 grandchildren, as my folks do, blessed in all that they're blessed with. But it doesn't change the fact that whether you have that or you have something that you wish was much different, it doesn't change the fact that we ought to view ourselves regardless of your accomplishments, regardless of your gifting, regardless of your education, regardless of how much you read in the Bible per day, or how much time you spend in prayer, or in which ways you serve, or how you're viewed by others. God help us to have a, a view of ourselves of, "I am less than the least of all the saints." God help us just to have our pride destroyed. A proper view of God? A proper view of your own sin? A proper view of the depths of, of what you have been saved from? I pray that more and more in our lives, that when we think of ourselves, there would be this humility that makes us honestly look at ourselves and say, I am less than the least love everybody. That's my position. A servant of the gospel, a servant of God, but less than the least. This was consistent in the Apostle Paul's ministry. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief chief. Of all the sinners in this world, I'm chief. In 1 Corinthians fifteen nine, it says this. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Warts and all. Sin and all. The least. Chief of sinners. Less than the least of all the saints. The good part about seeing ourselves in such a light is that it makes us not thinking that we can do stuff on our own. I don't want to ever come up here and preach a sermon thinking, I got this. Oh, I've preached on that a bunch of times. I don't need to prepare. I don't need to ask God for help. It doesn't matter how much preparation goes into a sermon. It doesn't matter how much I know. It doesn't matter what my background is or how clever I might be. Your hearts cannot be reached unless the Holy Spirit does that work. Do you get that? Your hearts can't be reached unless the Holy Spirit does that work. My parents given this little girl a Bible on September 22nd of 1974. The Holy Spirit's the one that did that work, isn't he? Holy Spirit's the one who gets all the glory for it. Changes her in a radical way by his grace. So to have a proper view of ourselves enables us to be in a place of being totally and completely dependent upon Christ in every area of our lives. not based on how many parent books we read or marriage books we read or Christian living books we read or any such things. It's the Lord that must do the work in our lives and he must get all the glory. So how can anything good come from us? Let's look at verse seven again. Of which I became a minister according to the gift of, of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Now here's the Apostle Paul, writer of a huge chunk of the New Testament. A minister. Why? How? According to the gift of God's grace, a gift of the grace of God given to me. That's how it happened. How do we do anything in this life? According to the gift of the grace of God given to me. He was totally and completely dependent upon God to do those works. And he sees his calling as a gift of the grace of God. It's a gift that God's given him. Paul, I'm going to gift you with this. And here it is. I'm going to gift you with this so that you might minister for me. And and, and it's my grace that is giving you this gift to be able to be enabled to do all these things. And you may look at the Apostle Paul and look at his life. And it brought me to 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 23 where he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the sea, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily. And my deep concern for all the churches. And so you may look at your life and say, not the way I wanted it to go, right? Not the ministry as far as how I want the ministry to work. Not everything's exactly the way that I had dreamed or that I had hoped or that I had wanted things to turn out. But then to look at just this list in these few verses... And to say, he saw this ministry as a gift of the grace of God given to him. I'm so thankful for the gift of God's grace to be able to proclaim God's word to you. To be able to be here and to take you to Scripture. To point you to Christ. To pray that as we go through a text that all of you sitting in these pews would come to a place of treasuring Christ as you see him. Above everything that this world could ever offer. To fall more deeply in love with him. To be freed from the bondage of works and be free to the gospel. It is a precious, precious gift that I think I appreciate more than ever. To be able to go through God's word with you all. And to think the Lord's brought us together for this purpose. His Holy Spirit works so mightily in spite of me, in spite of anybody here in this room, to accomplish what he desires to do. It's a precious gift to serve all of you here. Thankful. Thankful. At the end of verse 7, he says how it comes about. By the effective working of his power. The effective working of his power. May that be a great encouragement to you as it is to me. That's God working in my life, in your life. To accomplish what he desires to do. Do you see the Holy Spirit just molding you and conforming you into the image of Christ? Do you look upon circumstances in your life and and, and know he's sovereign and he's good. He began the good work in me and he'll be faithful to complete it. He knows what's necessary to mold me into his image. And he will not leave me. He will not forsake me. He will accomplish his purposes. And his Holy Spirit is such that He does whatsoever He wills to do and He can work in us to enable us to do whatever we're called to do. Whatever it is. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. This grace was given that I should preach. It's God that works. The effective working of His Holy Spirit his power in our lives how can anything good come from us through the effective working of his power in you amen it is not dependent upon you it's God that does that work how can anything good come from us according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished. Look at verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's an awesome thing to be able to look and say, God has a plan. He has an eternal purpose which he is determined to do. There's nothing that's too hard for him. There's no one that can stop his will. We serve a God who finds joy in using broken vessels to accomplish his purposes for his glory in the building up of the saints. Think of being a little boy coming across this two lane highway that used to be right here, mid 70s, and playing on this campus when it was being framed out. My friend's dad was the pastor. And here we were playing while they were building all that they were building here. Church closed down a couple years later. The Jewish synagogue had the church for 30-some years. And here we are now. Such a vivid picture in my mind of being here. Watching the guys work being told, hey, don't touch that. Kids, stay over there away from those big beams that are going to fall on your head. But God knowing according to his purposes that this day would come and it would be for the most of his glory. God accomplishing his purpose in spite of us to know that he has a plan. He has a plan. An eternal plan. And you're not going to stop it. Isn't that awesome to think about? You're not big enough to stop it. God's not at heaven going like, oh man, I had such good plans for you. Never thought you were going to do that. He has an eternal plan and he accomplishes that plan through us. So, how can anything good from, come from us? We serve a sovereign God who accomplishes his purposes. What does God enable us to do? Let's look at verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. We have been given, through His Holy Spirit, the ability to do something that's absolutely awesome, and that is to proclaim, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now You may think unsearchable and think of that and say, well, if it's unsearchable, then it's unable to be reached, it's unable to be... It's, it's, it's beyond anything that we could ever do, and it is. But I want to emphasize something here as we look at this. The unsearchable riches are found in one place, and that is Christ. Unsearchable riches of Christ. When Paul thinks of what it is that I get to do and what is God going to enable me to do, it is that I may preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of That's where his mind goes to. It is unsearchable riches of Christ. More precious than gold, more precious than jewels, more precious than any amount of money, more precious than anything. I get to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I started thinking of what some of those things might be. God the eternal son. Now just stop in there for a second. This measure of making a list is not to make it so these riches are not unsearchable. But the point here is that when you even say God the eternal son, our minds can't even go to how awesome and amazing that is. That God has always existed. That the triune God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed from all eternity past. How, How do we put that in some way that we can grasp it? You can't. Our God is so incredible that when we start thinking about him and the unsearchable riches that are found in Christ, it's more than what we could ever grasp in its entirety he's our creator he speaks things into existence speaks them into existence he has no need to have some other kind of mass that's there that he molds and shapes he speaks it into existence he can create something out of nothing and he alone can do that he alone is the first cause our creator He's our King of Kings, our sovereign, all powerful God, control of all things. There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from his will. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So perfect, he cannot change for the better and he can't change for the worse. He's perfect. He's our Savior, our Savior. What Paul must have thought when he thought of Christ is my Savior, the one who is least less than the least of all the saints, the chief of sinners God saved me from that. he saved me from eternity and hell he saved me from the wrath of Almighty God. he saved me. He's our mediator with the Father. There's no need to go through a high priest anymore here on earth. He is that priest, and he is our mediator that makes it so that we have access to the Father. He's our redeemer. He purchased us. He's our perfect sacrifice, without any spot or blemish or any such thing. He's perfect, and he's holy, or perfectly holy. He has perfectly fulfilled the law in its entirety. He fulfilled all righteousness. He has boundless treasures of grace and truth that's unsearchable. The grace that comes from God. Perfect truth found in His Word. Crucified in our place. He fully satisfied the justice of the Father. riches of that you're not going to have to go and stand before the father and think okay I got to pay for some of these sins Jesus did a lot but I got to go through purgatory or I got to go and suffer in some other kind of way temporarily no he he has fully fully satisfied the justice of the father he said it was finished he died and he was buried He arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He makes intercession for us. He forgives us of all of our sins. He gives us his righteousness through faith. Awesome thing to think about his righteousness on your account, on my account. The Father sees us, he sees us as perfect. He adopts us into his family. He's the head of the church. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He grants us gifts according to His grace. He'll return in glory. He reserves for us an everlasting inheritance in heaven. He loved us and chose us before the foundation of the world. He will finish the work he began in us. He enables us to approach the throne with boldness. He enables us to finish the work or sorry, he enables us to see His glory and to enter into the joy of the Lord the unsearchable riches of Christ. We read those things and you could think on any one of those things and never come to a place of, I got it in its entirety. He's that vast and his riches are that amazing. What has God enabled us to do? To make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. We get to proclaim the gospel. We get to tell people about Christ and him bringing Jews and Gentiles together. Him washing us from our sin. Him telling us that whosoever believes in him, telling those that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He tells us that we get to go and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. In Revelation 15, a song is sung saying this, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. We get to make all see the fellowship of the mystery, and all nations will come and worship before him. All of them. He enables us to do that. He enables us to make known the manifold wisdom of God to angels. Look at verse 10. It tells us in verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Our salvation is so amazing that we serve a God that says, through you, I'm going to teach the angels. I'm going to make it so that they are able to see the manifold wisdom of God through you. The angels look upon us and see what it is that God has done and they see it and say, the wisdom of God, the God that we serve. He takes this pagan and he causes him to be a leader in the Old Testament. He takes this liar and he changes him. He molds him and conforms him and brings him to repentance and uses him for his glory. He takes this adulterer and makes him a man who has a heart after God's own heart. He takes this one who denied Christ three times and he makes it so that he is the one in whom he will build his church on. He takes sinners like you and like me and all that we have done and he uses us for his glory. And it tells us in 1 Peter 1, 2. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us we are ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things that angels desire to look into. They're watching and just seeing and saying, our God is amazing. Look at what he has done. Never thought that person was going to be saved. And so these angels rejoice when you come to Repentance. Rejoice in heaven over one sinner who comes to repentance. You watch his angels, and they're watching us, and they're seeing who God is. And God says, I will use you to make known the manifold wisdom of God to angels. Awesome thing to think about. What else has God enabled us to do? To approach his throne with boldness, access with confidence through faith in Christ. Look at verse 12. In whom. We have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Think of some of those key words there boldness. We have boldness, joyfulness, joyful confidence. We're free from shame. We have access. Access. We could draw near to God. We're granted nearness and intimacy. We can pray and we're loved and we're listened to. We approach with no reliance upon our own worthiness. It goes on and says, We have access with confidence, confidence, through faith in Him, through faith. It's all through faith in Christ. Paul's writing this and he says, Here's a parenthesis, brothers and sisters. He accomplished this thing. We have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. And so he closes with saying this Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart, that my tribulations for you, which is your glory. He's saying, Brothers and sisters, don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. I'm asking you to think differently. If you're discouraged because I've been in prison for all these years, don't be discouraged. God is sovereign. I'm nothing. I'm less than the least of all the saints. God's the one that by his grace has given me this ministry. His effective power is working in me. This is according to his eternal purpose that he's accomplished. He'll enable me to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he'll make it so that all will see the fellowship of this mystery. And he'll make it so the manifold wisdom of God is even known to angels. And he'll make it so that I can approach his throne with boldness and have access with confidence through faith in Christ. Therefore, don't lose heart. Brothers and sisters, don't lose heart. If you're tired and you want to give up, don't lose heart. We serve a sovereign God who's in control of all these things and there's a plan. There's a plan. And it's a plan of a sovereign God who does whatsoever he wills to do and it's a plan of a God who's good. And it's a plan of a God who loves you. And it's a plan of a God who works all things together for good for you. So don't lose heart. Paul says in Philippians 1.12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Satan meant it for evil. The Romans meant it for evil. The Jews meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. It's used for the furtherance of the gospel. And then he says, Which is your glory. I think of Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be, to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's your glory. Trust the Lord. Paul is saying before I, I pray, Know that I'm a prisoner. Know that all of these things happen. Know that this is the God that we serve. And know that this is who I am and this is what God is doing. And so don't lose heart. Now let's pray. And we'll look at that next time we meet. I pray that you don't lose heart. I pray that you see God as more precious than all of life. I pray that you treasure him above all things. I pray that you know that you are saved by faith alone, not of work, so that you could never boast. It's all God. And I pray that if there's someone that came here this morning and brought by a friend, came with family, and you don't know the Lord, just as that little girl at eight years old took that Bible and God used it to radically change her life, he met her that day. May he meet you today, cause your eyes to be opened, enable you to see that you are a sinner in desperate need of forgiveness. Your goodness is nothing compared to the goodness of God. And through faith in him, he takes away your sin and he gives you his righteousness. It's all him, it's dependent upon him. It's dependent upon him. What a tragedy it would be to hear these words to harden your heart and to leave. What an awesome thing it would be to hear these words and the Lord softens your heart and today is the day of salvation for you and one day will come where you enter into the joy of the Lord because Christ has taken all the wrath that you deserved upon himself. May today be the day of salvation for you. Will you pray with me? Oh, the grace of God that enables us to be here today. What a God that we serve, perfect in all of his ways, sovereign in all things, in control of all things, good and holy and just. The words that are preached are true because they come from the very pages of Scripture. And we're thankful. May we see ourselves as less than the least of all the saints and may we find ourselves dependent upon you and may we watch you work wondrous things at Reverence Bible Church for your glory and for our good and for our joy. And now may we sing songs that Paul would have sung Songs that would be sung in heaven. Songs that come from the hearts of those who have been saved. Who treasure our Savior above all things. May that be reflected in our hearts as we sing praises unto you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.